Good morning, people of God. Good to be with you this morning. Thank you for the invitation to uh, share this morning with you and uh, my special friend and colleague in the ministry, Pastor Martin, whom you know well, uh, know very well from what I understand. And so thank you for that relationship that's been built over the years. And uh, it's come to this point in, uh, in Martin's ministry that he has uh, been identified by your congregation, this congregation, to continue the work that he began a number of years ago already in South Stockton, in Western Ranch. Um, indeed, he's a pastor to uh, the city of Stockton, especially the south regions of the city of Stockton. Uh, uh, that's a tough assignment, a very difficult assignment. And, uh, and Martin has, uh, in the spirit of the living God, been made equal to that task along with his other colleagues. Um, and uh, we are grateful that uh, Hefty and Martin together and uh, with all the prayer support and many volunteer efforts have been able to carry out that work for a number of years. And uh, so today we're going to mark uh, a continuation in that chapter um, and to identify the fact that this congregation wants to bless that work, to recognize the importance of it and to uh, remember to pray for, encourage, come alongside of, and uh, when time and circumstance require, admonish as we all need from time to time, especially in the ministry, uh, that we all hold each other accountable. And that's what this relationship is about. It's an accountability mechanism in the churches to keep uh, congregations and their pastors focused on the main things, which is the Word of God and the expansion of God's kingdom and all of that to His glory and for our benefit. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to turn uh, to the Word of God in the second letter of Peter to the churches, uh, a book that was um, in question. There was a, quite a time in the church where they weren't sure Second Peter was really uh, uh, ought to be in the Bible, and the, finally the, the Holy Spirit made it clear that, no, it does belong in Scripture, and so we're going to turn to it today. Uh, I did not know that Coffee Break was studying Peter this, uh, this cycle. Uh, I had no correspondence with anybody about what passage I was going to select, and, uh, and so it's uh, providential that we get to hear from the second letter of Peter. I got ordained by having to preach from the first letter of Peter uh, 35 years ago in Wayland, Michigan, and uh, the passage there was about the doctrine of election. Wouldn't you like to hear that? Yeah, that was how I got introduced to gospel ministry. But we're going to turn to 2 Peter uh, this morning, and the first chapter of that letter reads as follows. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and with godliness brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon this portion of your word that we have heard this morning. Father, the church has heard these words for centuries. And by your grace and mercy, we've heard them just now. And we pray, Lord, that by the same spirit that inspired Peter long ago to record these words, that you would prompt us to set aside the cares of the day and permit us to focus on what it is you intend to teach this congregation this morning from these words, that we may be encouraged and instructed challenged and motivated to do your will, to glorify you and advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, make it so. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, our theme this morning is really focused on not so much uh, having more disciples in the church, and of course that's always what the, uh, the hope and expectation of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is that we constantly are adding to those who know Jesus by name, who recognize who he is, what he has done, and what difference that makes to us personally, and what we become disciples. What I wanted to do this morning as we mark this uh, ordination or the installation of Martin to continue the work in, uh, in South Stockton there is to focus on what does a better disciple look like? Uh, whether you've just come to know God for the very first time, uh, first come in contact with the gospel for the very first time, or whether or not you have been at this task for decades already, what does better look like and why does it matter? Being a disciple of Jesus is a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Discipleship in, entails entering into a training program. It's not just about education. It's not just about acquiring knowledge and, and stuff that you pack into your head and to your heart, but it's a way of life. It's saying, well, now that I know this, 
What difference does it make in the choices I make, the values I nurture, and the way I choose to live my life? It's training. I did some show and tell here this morning. You're going to look at some slides. I want you to look at these slides. There's seven slides. And I just want to have them come past you. Uh, not, you know, just, just look at, at what this is about. Take a look. You know what those are? Those are the hands of professional golfers. People who have committed their life to chasing a little ball (laughs) around 18 fairways looking for a tiny little hole in a $20,000 patch of grass each. What you saw are people committed to being professional at a game. A trivial game. Challenging the very last golf game I played, I killed a goose <laughs> in the middle of the third fairway, 7.30 in the morning, in front of cameras, right? It's a difficult game. But you saw in these hands what it takes to be professional at it, to swing that club a hundred times, a thousand times, 10,000 times. A hundred thousand times, over and over and over until your hands literally disintegrate and bleed and your blood is dripping down the shaft of the club for a game, for a game. We have been granted all things, the Bible says, pertaining to life and godliness. We have this because we have knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Excellence. Not as professional athletes, but as disciples of Christ. We've been called to add to God's glory and to be excellent at it. Becoming partakers, says Peter, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption. Which begs the question, do we expect anyone to join us? To escape with us? Have you ever considered that their escaping, in part, hinges on us being the best disciples we know how to be. It's not all there is to it. The first letter of Peter talks about election. Yeah, it does. 
The title of my message back 35 years ago was Chosen to Declare. It's a purpose in our being identified as the children of God. We have a calling to do something about those who are not here yet. Who are not yet in knowledge of and in obedience to and in love with God. Who loves them. That's the task of the church. To add to those kinds of persons. So this morning I have four questions that I'd like to put in front of us. The first one is simply this. What does better look like? What does better look like? Verse 5 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with, and then follows, seven supplements. You could refer to them as a daisy chain of discipleship. He's going to have, says, we all have faith, right? By grace, we have come to know Jesus because the Spirit of the living God is in us, and so therefore we have recognized who God is, what he's done, and, and how we are now reconciled to each other. How do we, where do we go from there? What do we add to that basic starting point of our discipleship? Supplement means to add to. Increase the total package that is your life. To enhance it or supplements also complete the package, complete the picture. So let's review, shall we? Seven things that are added to entry-level faith. Your faith, add to it virtue. What is that? Virtue is a striving for moral worth. Virtue is, it assumes that you have some sense about what is good and what isn't. What is something that you would recognize as saying, that ought to happen or that ought to be. In a perfect world, these kinds of things ought to obtain and it ought to surround us all the time. Whatever that is, goodness. When you recognize it, you say, That's ought, that ought to increase. Add to your faith virtue or excellence in character. That means you ought to reflect on your life, look at yourself in the mirror from time to time, and ask yourself, what things in my life that I am currently thinking, doing, care about, get exercised and animated over, what sorts of things in my life today ought not be there? They have been there been the habit of my heart for a while, what sort of thing should that, that shouldn't be there anymore. I should take it away. So that we're striving toward excellence in our character. Add to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge. Disciples are involved in a relationship. The knowledge that we are speaking of here is not the content of a book, although that is part of it. The knowledge that is in view here is relational. 
the way we relate as, say, a husband and a wife. I know Liz, and Liz knows me. She didn't read a book about me. I didn't read a book about her. We've been living together for over 40 years. We have learned some things. We have knowledge about each other relationally. That's what Peter is after here in terms of discipleship. Add to your virtue and faith knowledge to know yourself and God better and better and better and better your whole life long. It's a relationship quality. To knowledge add self-control, which means complete mastery of your desires and your action. You know why I don't play golf anymore? Because back then I wasn't patient enough to learn the game. I'd put a ball on a tee and just whack it. And wherever it went, well, that's where it went. 400-yard fairway turned into 600, 700 yards. I played three fairways at once. I bought a dozen balls per game, right? Because I wasn't disciplined and enough self-control to figure out and to care about this ball's got to go straight down the center of the fairway. And if you practice and practice and practice, guess what? It goes down the center of the fairway reliably. Not 100% of the time, but reliably. You could go with two or three other guys and have a wonderful morning playing an incredibly difficult game because you have brought yourself under control. Add to that steadfastness. Bearing up in the face of difficulty. Being firmly fixed or resolved. That's a state of mind. Putting up with nonsense. Putting up with pain. Putting up with deprivation. Going without. Being miserable for a time, and in that middle of that time, not losing track of why you're on this planet in the first place, why you were called a child of God in the first place. Whatever happens, staying on course, stay on track, being firmly fixed, resolved. That's a discipline not only of your mind, but also of your heart. Your mind can literally be turned off, go numb. But if your heart is there, you can continue. I once watched a a rowing race, University of Wisconsin men's eights. Incredible. You know what rowing is? You know, four guys each side, eight guys going down 5,000 meter course. The number three guy in this one race had 
back injury. He was in such great pain that he literally went unconscious during the race and didn't miss a stroke. That is what steadfastness results in. You are so focused, regardless of whatever is going around, however miserable, difficult, hard, impossible it seems, we have by the Spirit of the living God and the desire to please Him, the capacity to be steadfast. Add to that godliness. Godliness. Devoted to your obligations to God. Pretty simple. What do we owe God? Well, why are we here today? Pretty straightforward. Worship. Right? Worship the living God. We are obligated to do that. We don't do that only on Sunday mornings at 9.30 in this building. We do that every single day and every choice that we make, every decision we make, every value we inculcate, we worship the living God or we're worshiping, worshiping something else. It's one or the other. There's no middle. There's no gray area. You're either living and devoted to, to a God or the one true God. Godliness. How does that work itself out? We sang it as kids. Trust and obey. For there's no other way. I learned that as a kid, and I think a lot of you did as well. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. What do we owe God? What does godliness look like? Worship him and do what he asks us to do. It's not hard. It's not hard to know. It's hard to do. But it's not hard to know. And add to godliness brotherly affection. To love and cherish a fellow believer the way you love your siblings. Think of all of us in this room together, along with every other congregation of Jesus Christ in the city of Ripon, and every other church in the valley and the state, the nation, and around this planet where there are millions and millions and millions of brothers and sisters in Christ. And the simple request is, do we think of each other as that, as, as, as if we're siblings? Does our heart go out to one another in spite of the fact that we may see things differently, understand things differently, view the world slightly differently? Everyone got sideways with somebody over COVID yet? <laughs> I know that's thin ice, right? Right? Of course we have. We see that very differently. And yet... We are brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, siblings together, the family of God. We're all united in that regard. That needs to be obvious in how we relate to each other, think of each other, our attitude toward one another, our disposition with these folks, and they with us. Brotherly affection and to brotherly affection with love, unfailing love, without exception. 
It's a categorical, exclusive requirement for discipleship. Been a pastor for 35 years. It may surprise you to know that there's few folks in the three congregations I've served that I don't like. They don't like me, but I love them and they lo- I know they love me. You have to love the brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to love them. And they have to know that you love them. In spite of the fact that you may not be close as friends, that's okay. You can't be friends with everybody, that's fine. But you have to love one another. And that's what the gospel does. That's what South Stockton needs. South Stockton needs somebody standing in the middle of that where all these people are in their degradation and their filth and their mire and it's just so tragic what's going on over there. Someone needs to stand next to them and says, because I know Jesus, I love you. I love you. My heart breaks for you. My eyes well up in tears for you. The tragedy of your life is not the last thing I want you to know about yourself. I want you to know that there's a God in heaven who loves you, who loves me, and because he loves me, I stand with you. That's the gospel, the beginning of it. That captures the imagination and ultimately the soul. Why does better matter? Our second question this morning. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of these days, maybe after I retire, I'm thinking about writing a book entitled The Theology of If... We don't like the word if. You know why? Because we think that this is all cooked already. This is, this, everything's in the bag. It's all cut and dried and it's done. And the New Testament says, not so fast. If. If. It's one of the reasons I'm required to read the form for baptism when we bring an infant to the baptismal font because we have to remind ourselves that just because that child was baptized doesn't mean that child is saved. That's why we have the if clause in the form. If this child died with Christ, this child will live with Christ. We don't know that yet. That's still an open question. If... This is an open question in Peter. If this is true of us, verse 8, if these qualities, that's a condition, right? That's a conditional statement. If these qualities are yours and add to the if clause and are increasing, right? Not base level. And are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The expectation, obviously, is that we are effective and are fruitful. Two things. Effective in ministry, all of us, and fruitful, growing 
in righteousness, in our discipleship, and adding to the body of Christ. That's the whole point of this. That's why the church is here, and that's why Jesus isn't back here yet. Right? The Bible tells us he's waiting, he's delaying the return of Jesus so that everybody assigned to eternal life makes it in. They're not here all yet. That's obvious. Why? Because Jesus isn't back here yet. So we know we're in this grace period in which we're still expected to gather in those who don't know Jesus yet. Gathering the fruit. Winning those who we in this world call lost souls. That's why better matters. We've got to be good at that. You get good at that when you practice that. Number three, what is the consequence for not striving to become a better disciple? Verse nine reads like this. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. It's like forgetting to walk. I don't know if you've known folks that in their older years, for all kinds of reasons, wind up bedridden. Gotten out of bed for a couple weeks for whatever reason, illness, injury, recovery from surgery, stroke, what have you, they're in bed. And they haven't gotten out of bed. The longer they stay there, they will reach a point where they will not lo- no longer know how to walk. They'll be incapable of walking. They used to know, they may have been marathon runners, they may have been professional athletes, but now, because that's all stopped, they forgot how to walk. Let me ask you this. Has someone or anyone ever forgiven you for something you've done to them? Your mom and dad, your kids, your spouse, your boss, teacher, someone Has anyone ever forgiven you for something you did? Did your behavior, attitude, or relationship with them modify as a result? Probably. Probably. Some folks have been believers for so long that they have reached the point where they have forgotten that they were once forgiven by God. They don't recall their having to need a Savior. They haven't examined anything for so long. They're really quite puzzled as to why Jesus is on the cross, not just generally, but specifically for them. Because all things considered, they're pretty good guys. 
For whoever lacks these qualities, right? Love, brotherly affection, godliness, steadfastness, self-control, knowledge, virtue, faith. You lack the things. It's like you don't know why Jesus is on the cross. Not really. It's just information. That's all it is. doesn't matter. It's just information. How, does it matter to you that he died for you? And that his blood not only covers your sin, but the sin of the whole world. Fourth question, what's the payout for being a better disciple? Peter writes, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. At any time. When required to do so, you will have been practicing, you have been in training, you have swung the club so many times, you do it from muscle memory alone. A number of years ago, there was a, an airplane incident that produced an incredible story. I want you to listen to part of it. I brought a hundred second clip of it. Hundred seconds. Let's take a look. Emergency returning. It's 15:29. He, he uh, bird strike. He lost all engine. He lost the thrust in the engines. He's returning immediately. Cactus 15:29. Which engines? He lost thrust in both engines. He said. Got it. Cactus 15:29. We can get it, Steve. Do you want to try to land one three one three? We're in the house. Joey 2760, turn left 070. 2760, turn 2760. Alright, Cactus 1549, it's going to be left traffic to runway 31. Unable. Okay, what do you need to land? Cactus 15.9, runway 4 is available if you want to make left track to runway 4. What's over to our right? Anything in New Jersey? Maybe Teterboro? Okay, yeah, off your right side is Teterboro Airport. Do you want to try to go to Teterboro? Yes. Teterboro, uh, Empire, actually LaGuardia Departure Guy, Emergency Inbound. Hey, guys. Cactus 1529 over the George Washington Bridge wants to go to the airport right now. Wants to go to the airport. Check. Does he need assistance? Uh, yes. He, uh, it was a bird strike. Can I get him in for uh, runway one? Runway one. That's good. Cactus 1529, turn right 280. Can land runway one at Teterboro. We can't do it. Okay. Which runway would you like at Teterboro? We're going to be in the Hudson. I'm sorry. Say again, Cactus. Unable, 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 we're going to be in the Hudson. Every life was spared in that aircraft. Captain Sullenberger, over 20,000 hours in the aircraft, the first officer, oddly enough, also 
20,000 hours in the air. Practice, 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 practice. For the one time, it mattered most. All lives were spared. Putting an airliner safely down in the Hudson River in the dead of winter. Training pays off. Better disciples matter because the kingdom of God depends on us being excellent, striving towards excellent, being the best Christians we know how to be. When that one conversation, that one interaction, that one time, which may be measured in seconds, not days, weeks, months, or years, but maybe, maybe measured in seconds, changes a life for all eternity. Better disciples. That's what we're all engaged in. Because the darkness is truly dark and debilitating. But we know Jesus, the light of the world. Better disciples matter. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to be instructed by your word and spirit, to be reminded of why the church is here at all, why you have placed us where you have and have surrounded us with the people that we share our life with, some next door, some few miles away, some in the next county, we all share this life together. Father, make us equal to the task you have called us to do, and may we do so joyfully, gratefully, and humbly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.